YOLO. YOLO. We're actually live. <laughs> Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validator teams. And as you can possibly tell by the look on our faces, we're pretty tired. This is not coffee. It is for null, I guess. I, it's I like, have coffee because it's 7.08 a.m. It's morning in Kanga time, isn't it? Whereas it's night in Europe time. And it's apparently wine o'clock it's, in it's one uh, o'clock America everywhere. time. Yep, it's after five somewhere, and that that somewhere is right here. It's always. Have you ever heard the? Uh, I've I've been on quite a few stag dues this year because people have been getting married off the pandemic. Um, and they have the the thing that jumps to mind immediately when I see booze at I don't know what hour of the day it is for you right now, but is uh, one before ten or ten before one. Uh, I'm not sure you should be drinking before 10 a.m. <laughs> I love the way I love the way there's even there's even a specific joke. There are two specific joke sound effects, but it's it's got to be the. Um, I don't think yeah. that was me. Was that me? <laughs> <laughs> so funny you don't even know it. I don't even know. Um, so yeah, I mean. Uh, there's there's mercifully i was gonna say there's mercifully little drama to talk about this week um but i guess there is there is one thing i suppose that's happened in the last week that maybe i don't know if you you want to talk about any of the juno growth fund stuff um it's very juno specific though but i guess we do kind of cover quite a bit of juno stuff and it was quite a lot loud loud noise although it i don't know i've been so busy this week that literally i was working and I saw that there was like some noise. And then by the time I stopped working and was like, what's this drama? The drama was already over. So it must have been a bit of a storm in a teacup is my feeling on that one. Can you break it? I don't even know what you guys were talking about. What was what was that all about? Uh, so there, they, these both happened in, this, in the last week, right? There was um, Juno Growth Fund, which is uh, <laughs> the description was basically, so Juno Growth Fund, and loop were the two things that happened. The loop one is the one that literally was was over before I noticed, thanks to working on Aptos for like the last seventy two hours without sleeping. Um, but the Juno Growth Fund is more interesting. That was the one to basically withdraw some of the Prop fourteen rewards from Juno swap pools in order to fund a VC like fund for Juno to incentivize new projects basically it's the continuation of the terra developer fund okay but not for just terra projects okay um and yeah what's interesting about that is like i mean so i think all of us have kind of sort of bootstrapped ourselves into this space like we kind of mm -hmm. ended up here a bit accidentally and we've kind of funded ourselves until we could make some money and stuff so i guess like i'm i have elements of skepticism about the vc model being a healthy one but right. also, I guess, recognize that there are some projects that need more investment up front, that need larger teams to get stuff done and all that kind of thing. And so, you know, it kind of seems like an obvious good move, even if it's not really like the way that I roll, you know? Um, do you, do you but, think the teams lose the hustle by doing that? Do you reckon like, you know, they just, they don't have the grind. They don't have the, they haven't done the tough yards. They don't, you know what I mean? Like they haven't lived in a caravan 
and uh, <laughs> <laughs> haven't left in the caravan and shot in a pot and, yeah, and eating baked beans for like seven months while they're trying to get their thing off the ground. That's you right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But, I uh, mean, but paid devs all straight up as well. Like, you know, oh, I'm hiring a team. We're going to build a thing. Everyone. Can yeah. That, I right? mean, I mean, I guess this is like a cultural difference as well between a lot of the terror projects and mm-hmm. like the stuff that organic more organically happened on Juno is like a lot of the stuff that more organically happened on Juno and, maybe in the wider cosmos like people had to kind of generally speaking get their thing running and work out how it could make money as part of getting it off the ground whereas a lot i think maybe if you don't do your funding if you get funded ahead of time you may be disincentivized to work out what your funding model is um and that's how we end up with advertising right in web 2 which is like incredibly toxic and corrosive as a as a funding source so um I, but I think the VC piece is healthy because there, there's the part that is healthy about that is is when the numbers are realistic, VCs also look at who the team is, what that track record is. They have enough experience to look see if the idea makes sense or it's just a bunch of bullshit, right? Um, the community does not have that experience, so anything that sounds good, like oh yeah, and you don't you know necessarily you don't know who the team is behind that, you don't know if it's a real if it's a real structure on it. They have the devs to do it where it's just, you know, I'm just throwing cash at an idea, and the idea might be good, but it doesn't mean that that idea is going to come to light, right? The, out, so the outside of that... thing is, it's like, there's no due diligence. It's just fucking, yeah, that sounds good. I, I mean, like, every, that's the thing, like everybody, that's why everybody votes yes on most proposals, is because we want things to go, right? We got the rocket emoji going like fucking crazy. So as long as yeah, we use they, the rocket yeah, emoji, want, right? They want to see development. They want to see stuff right. on the train. So, but they don't so let's care just, about looking at what it is or, or let's just let's just throw money at everything right and yeah. we talked about this i think we, we we talked about this back in uh i don't remember what it was but we talked about this i think relation to was a cosmoverse and somebody like all the props coming yeah. forward to like hey i want to i want twenty five thousand dollars put banners up at cosmoverse and we're like what the fuck is that like where where's like a real marketing budget like show me how you're going to use that right i think the same thing is true here per chain right per chain <laughs> right make, making the rounds right yeah yeah and then but, one after the other is not even all at the same time like that's it seemed a little bit, um, you know, shady. Yeah. Uh, well, not shady. It just it didn't seem like the right way to do it. Like I feel like the right way to do it would have been to say, okay, we're going to ask for funding from seven different chains or whatever the number is, all at the same time, rather than like one after the other. Oh, it's another co-sponsor. Oh, another co-sponsor. Right. Like I feel like it was a little bit disingenuous as to what you were getting. Like it's like, oh, is there two co-sponsors or is there fourteen? Right. Like, Right. Yeah. No, like, no. Um, so, not harping on about that and going back to it. It's a good event. Um, value for money is, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know the <laughs> outcomes. I, I haven't had like any, uh-huh. um, you know, feedback or, or analysis of like what it has, what the outcomes have been for the, for the chains, but, it seems expensive for the amount of people that attend it considering right. they also buy tickets and it just seems like it wasn't gone about the right way. But hopefully um, there are some lessons learned and these guys are new as well at, um, you know, they've only done one or two events. So yeah. um, they're new to the event game. Um, but hopefully uh, in the, you know, next year they've learned some lessons from this year um, and maybe do it better. I hope it'd be nice. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but so back to the back to the VC question though. Yeah. I think I think you said point out something like 
I guess interesting, which is the the question like who's doing the due diligence, which I think uh like obviously I, I kind of you know think that the junior growth fund's a good idea, like kind of behind mm-hmm. that. Um but like the question of like who who yeah, who is qualified to do due diligence. I guess it's that thing of like there's a community pool there, which is just anybody can put up a prop and ask for money from the community pool. Sure. But the danger of that basically is that the community well, it's not so much the community uh, it is malicious towards the community fund, kind of the opposite. You get very few props related to the community fund, which is interesting, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But also, the, yeah, the community maybe is not the best place to do due diligence or communicate around due diligence. But so this is effectively sort of taking a, a portion of that responsibility out into effectively a multi-sig, right? Yeah. But I guess the question is like, you know, how a lot of this like kind of comes down to okay so who is qualified to do due diligence number one two those people probably don't aren't in the junior organization already in, insofar as there is any organization even if, even mm-hmm. if it is very scratchy and it's multiple telegram groups and all this other sort of stuff but like a lot of this to me comes down to like do you know in reality like the core team is quite small right and it is like it's just like every other startup I've worked for, albeit a different level of chaos because of all the anons and different telegram groups and different sure people working independently on stuff. But the problem here is still one of scaling a small team. Like that's the fundamental mm-hmm. problem is we t- to do VC type stuff, we need um, you know, due diligence and those sorts of skills, and we need to scale a team, or Juno needs to scale a team. Yeah. And that's like really hard. That's like literally why all organizations die <laughs> or like small teams or startups or whatever. They fail because they find it hard to actually like work together when they have to go beyond one or two people that kicked off the whole thing who implicitly trust each other because they ship the first thing. Um, so yeah, it's that kind of growing pain that I'm not so sure about, I guess. Like the, the rest of it, I don't think, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in, I'm not, not trying to, I just asked about what the heck the DAO was, so I'm not obviously I have no opinion on it. But <laughs> the idea, um, I like the idea, and it'd be good. I think there's the one thing that I would say in some of these types of things is I don't know, I don't know if I see a lot of accountability. Uh, meaning, like after those things go forward and and after that decision is made, does anybody actually stop and look back and say, hey, was this was this money well spent or the types of things, and like use that knowledge going forward? It very seems it's very much point in time where an organization that's kind of built around that would would have a portfolio and they'd be measured on the performance of that portfolio right um, yeah meaning like do we make the good investments and are, the, are we have the right people in these roles to make those good investments and so if that DAO does do that meaning like we we have some ability to do some due diligence and we have the ability to look backwards and say this was smart or this was bad or why do we choose this and, and like actually build a repeatable process that can get better over time then hell yeah right I think I, mean, I, I think, think it, I think it would be nice if if those if the DAOs would post like yeah like a long form report of what's what's happened and what's not not what's worked what hasn't worked right um that yeah, kind of like stuff. a quarterly like a quarterly review yeah and maybe yeah. there's a service that's going live very soon that allows DAOs and multisigs to natively post as if they were on a social network maybe there is a thing <laughs> maybe, maybe there is a thing, a thing. Uh, yeah coming. i mean maybe someone will finally finish that thing they've been talking about for months and maybe, months and maybe months, it's maybe it's really already been, 
maybe it's already finished but the hard part is getting legal side off and all that crap um <laughs> maybe the I feel like up. this project like hasn't even really been doing anything <laughs> Callum, Callum, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's not all the work but but like yeah no I, scaling stuff is hard i guess and actually like um the the question is like well, so, you know, this actually, so I think I facetiously called this like the burnout cast or something like that because yeah, we're yeah. all pretty shattered. But I think like, so I was thinking about this in the context of, um, so that there, there's a couple of things like there's the Juno Growth Fund, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, going to get funded somehow, which the relation to that was, you know, uh, reducing the incentives that were applied to some of the Juno swap pools was a potential way of getting some initial funding into it. Um. And then, so, you know, there's, there's a scaling problem, which is scaling Juno's ability to <clears throat> do the funding. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, it touches on Juno Swap, who are having a scaling problem, I think, of their own at the moment in terms of team. And then I think we're all really, really tired over here in validator land. And I think a lot of our validators, uh, I think a lot of us are basically doing the work of several people. Um and so there's also it kind of seems like burnout and scaling being hard like these two problems like i'm like just the last two weeks that's all i've seen every team every problem has eventually devolved down to there aren't enough people Mm -hmm. or we don't have the right people or we don't know how to get them right now or or whatever like it feels like that is a really common problem and that's like underlying both the tension in that prop or that that commonwealth discussion the, and the funding itself has a question of like how do we scale that organizational tool and the reason all of us have bags under our eyes is because we we run validator operations that we've not scaled yet right so yeah why what so what's with that well, the so what you're saying like the fundamental problem is is that there's just not enough people um in the ecosystem particularly around developers so like everybody's looking for for go developers to work on the SDK in their own projects. And there is just no one. And I mean, even like Juno's looking for people. We know a bunch of test nets looking for people. You see, uh, (laughs) someone mentioned Callum. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, you guys are probably, um, once you launch, you're probably going to be needing um, people. There's, God, I, I'm looking through Discord just here and there is just, I know there is a number of these projects that are trying to find extra people. Um, and, you know, th- what that means is that people who are already working on projects are, you know, out of necessity to help those other projects, like going across and, and lending a hand there as well. And then they're becoming more stretched. And then, you know, they just get tired and overworked and then, non-productive and shit the bed and have to have two weeks off and disappear and don't talk to anyone <laughs> on discord or anything like they don't actually have friends or anything like are you, are you referencing you know. anybody in this in this call right now i don't understand <laughs> you know i make everyone else feel lonely because they just disappear and don't talk to anybody <laughs> or anything. for the record i took i took literally five days off and then i i had to, I had to work for two weeks like 12 hours a day to have everything squared away that I could take five days off. I still had to work a morning in those five days off. And then I've been working 12 hour days since I got back. I mean, I so, haven't seen shit posting from Callum either. I mean, that's been disappointing. Uh, yeah, I think Callum's been taking, he's, I, he got very, very burnt out, not from the rust, but from the shit posting. Like it's quite, it took, I think quite, 
at all on him, you know, keeping up that cadence of shit posting. I mean, so I think it, he's taking that quite, from it from quite mentally health. taxing doing that one liner a day <laughs> and then a couple of like witty comments. I mean, I can it's, see it's how it works. Yeah. It's there's like, a lot of work you don't see now you know there's a lot of work yeah. you don't see like it's the it's the torture like the anguish that goes into that that moment of inspiration do you ever, well, do you ever watch that old british um like animated thing called monkey dust like really no. really dark black Why comedy for like british animated things it's like a really dark like thing that only ran for a couple of seasons i think the creator died like really young and that's why it didn't you know, whatever. And you can get like a DVD of the first series. I think that's literally it. Um, you can find some bits on YouTube. Um, but there's like this, there's this thing about, you know, there's like really shit catchphrases you see like big businesses have where they're like, get inspired or something. There's this whole sketch <laughs> about how it's just Let's like, we need a new slogan. And there's like a bunch of people in the boardroom. It's like, God damn it, Renshaw, we need a new slogan. I don't care how it's done. And then they, they go like, well, I'll get our top man on it. And it basically has this guy like goes out into the wilderness and then like disappears for several years. And there's like, there's like him getting like mugged in the desert and then like beaten by, beaten by a gang of men and stuff like this. And then like, he's like years later, he's got this long beard. He's like, God, why have you forsaken me? And then like, it shows him coming back into the boardroom and he's just like, yeah, the new slogan is ignite for the future or something like that. And like the punchline's always shit. But like he suffered so much for the crap, and th- and there's like a series of these. There's like one where they need a new car name, and he goes and like, yeah, he he goes on like a spirit journey, and then ends up in like a German sex dungeon, getting like uh, just having like gang sex, and then while he's having, this is a very dark, a very dark and quite explicit cartoon, I should say. It was on very late at night, and then there's like he's basically um, he's basically getting beat, like I think like you know for sexual gratification, like getting beaten by a gimp or something. And he just goes, oh, <laughs> Nissan Toronto. And then and then the next thing you see is they're back in the boardroom going, excellent. And they're like unveiling the Nissan Toronto. <laughs> like something like that. Uh, they have one where they're trying to work out a new name for cancer. Like it's all these, this, but the, 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 the long line is like, it's always a shit result, but he always <laughs> suffers so much for it. And I feel like that sketch is kind of like Callum shit posting. I just added to Except my Maybe without all the sexual explicitness. Love I mean, it. he did dial into this from a bed, so you know, what are you gonna always could be bed on the broomsticks, <laughs> though. That's the you know, uh, relevant, relevant yeah. thing. <laughs> God, I'm sorry, 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 sorry to the listeners. I, I really need to emphasize that I was up sorry. till like 3 30 this morning working on um, working on bringing up some new validator stuff, so it, it's been a it's been a very long few days in Terraform, uh, right? Wow, yeah, well, so. Yeah, so I've been going on a bit of a spree anyway on all of our Cosmos stuff with automating everything with Ansible. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. So, really. Yeah, because what well, so Polka Chew, friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. legend, um, has a bunch of Terraform, um, Terraform, Ansible stuff for their operations. And so I've been basically adapting some of that, changing some of it, writing some new bits for the way we set up our servers. Um, it's going to have like... A bunch of new services come up on pokachu.com. <laughs> yeah, straight straight up forked. Um, but yeah, the um, yeah, so some we're basically uh, so we're we're looking at Aptos, which is obviously outside of Cosmos, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But um, they provide a bunch of um, Terraform and stuff as a template to work with. And since we're AWS anyway, generally, um, that's actually quite a good fit for 
for us doing something that's very repeatable for mm-hmm. a new engineer who's not me who doesn't want to like log on to a box and go this has all been configured from the mind of one very tired person like if the foundation has a recommendation for how the services should be set up i'm happy to use that as a template and you know just add the additional layers of automation and stuff on top that we'd use so um but yes cool yeah those can <laughs> so, be really expensive if anybody wants to like uh you know to know how to do it the manual way we did a, a podcast last week which i'm sure neither of you have watched <laughs> i i just I, I joined i was busy i was at a show which was miserable we'll talk about a different story but we i was at a show with my kids and my wife it was miserable so i just logged in i didn't listen to you and i just shit posted and then left so i think yeah. that was yeah it seemed good it went two and a half hours so it's interesting that when you're on the podcast with us and we start talking after minute 90 you start hitting the button but if we're not there and it's just you then you can run for two hours and 20 minutes and it's totally cool the 90 minute mandate is from the fray i would talk for three fucking hours but so Schultz did not have admin rights to cut you off, Mm-mm. right? So he it was like, <laughs> he in, tried. He's like, get me, get me out. That's why he's not here today is because he had enough last week. Yeah. <laughs> he had enough last he's week. He's already done two weeks of shows <laughs> with one. He's like, I've, I've done my time lapse. I've done my time. That's right. Yeah. He's like, I did um, two weeks. Okay. So I see so, how it goes. So when, when we talk after minute 90, you, you're, you got a finger on the button, but if we're not here and you're on your own fucking, yeah, just so I, like, right? rugged, I got rugged the two weeks before that before my week off. I got I was the one that got rugged yeah. after minute ninety. <laughs> so you know, just saying. I, just saying. I asked the chat several times. I said, "Do you want me to f- hurry up?" The thing with having no people in a chat is that no one can tell you to fuck off. Because they all left we have had a comment related to just that bit we were talking about before we just started talking about how burned out we are basically um and how burnt out Callum is and then monkey dust because i'm really good at tangent um ben davis has said uh i'll throw up the screen this is related to the the growth fund stuff i think a better approach would be for the chain to pass a brief for a sub dow and then people could apply to be part of the sub dow and then you know and then the reports would allow people to reapply or step aside yeah um so that's actually pretty that that's probably not a bad shout actually in terms of like you know crowd crowdsourcing some of that wisdom in terms of um bringing on additional people i think for something like something like non-technical skills that's as in really specifically non-engineering skills that's probably a pretty good shout actually um i I think the sorry i'm sorry i cut you up go ahead please uh, no, I was just going to say, like, because obviously you can do a lot. If you don't properly vet an engineer, they they've got access to your source code. You know, if you actually allowed them access to the repo, they could, I guess, potentially do more damage. Like, but then they could just like fork your code, submit a PR with a bug or a vulnerability, and if you miss it, so maybe it's the same. It's the same risk. It's just trust, isn't it? Well, I think I think it in that sub DAO area. If you have a small team that's available to do that, then you could you could pick a start and end date, and then you could stop it and you can measure the performance and you could say we want to be able to do elections on those members or something else right like you can get to a more of a structure it becomes more like a board right you have a board associated to a vc that's that has performance metrics and goals and then and then whatever i, I think i mean this is all stuff that will come as the numbers increase and as 
um, as there's more failures, I think, in terms of funding and everything else. Right now, there's so it seems like there's so many tokens available that it's you could just kind of throw shit at at whatever, and nobody's going, oh wow, you know, there's a real problem here. It's too early for that. But after a couple of years, I'm sure those processes will come in just because it has to. But at the same time, I was having a conversation with some of the GenoSwap guys earlier, where they were talking about um, you know the trouble of scaling in terms of hiring, mm-hmm. um, and. I was sort of saying, well, you know, if you would you rather be in the position in a few years where you've got, you know, maybe other services have overtaken you, or it it's clear that you've run to the end of your course and you've still got, you know, zillions of tokens. Yeah. Or would you rather be in the position where you still fucked it, but there's <laughs> nothing in the bank, you gave it your best shot, you know, the community, everybody who's invested in your success looks at what you've done and they go well didn't pan out the way we all thought the way we all hoped but you know really did give it the best run spent money where it was necessary like mm-hmm. is that is that thing of like you know the, there's there's two things here there's like the effort everybody involved and then there's the tokens or the money or whatever right like you don't want to end up in a position where you fail with leftover energy and leftover money do you sure yeah no i it's totally right right and, and the other part of it is like we were talking about other chains or everything else. The other, the other part of it is too much cash. Like when you have too much cash, that was that was what I think Noel was talking about before is like you get, you want enough cash to actually pay people to eat. Like obviously that's there. Like we've talked to, a, a, you know, you're talking about different chains but that are starting people. that have received. People got to be hungry. A little bit hungry, but not like, not fat, right? Um, but the other thing is like you have, right now you have, you know, A16Z or you have the other ones that are throwing hundreds or 200 or 300 million dollars at, at small teams and honestly they have the same issue they can't find the people right and so what that turns into is it turns into an overstressed engineering team and a massive marketing team right and that's not necessarily anything good either right um and honestly and a lot of those things we were talking about before the cosmos is in a better situation with that it was on i don't know if it was this or somewhere else we talked about actually it was on twitter i was talking about um Somebody was making fun of the marketing of a different chain, and and I, I hopped in to say like Cosmos marketing is awful. Like this is a this is a great technology chain that I think is under marketed, and it's and I think for the most part it's there's a lot of engineers saying oh it's going to work out it's going to work out, and best technology does not work out like that's not the way that life works. Um, Beta max, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a ton of those stories, right? Um, and best technology does not guaranteed winner. Even with IBC and everything else, like you have to have the right mix of both the technology and the emotional side of it. And if it's if it's not available and you don't have the right marketing and you don't have the right visibility, it could be fucking awesome. It's still gonna die. So especially in this space, right? Uh, yeah, I actually wrote my I wrote my original dissertation on a version of that, which is basically about how. Um, essentially academic theory and rev there, there were a bunch of people in the early 20th century who wrote about how academic theorists understated how change and especially revolution actually happens and how emotional a trigger is and how irrational it can be mm-hmm. but also how understated the impact of violence is and how this was the bit that i kind of wrote about it was like how people's reaction to that is highly based on like it's not like some like rational worldview of like here are the values I'll accept and here are the values right. I won't accept. It's like, you know, actually there are some things people will fight for, like physically, you know, apply violence and go, yeah, no, I'm actually I'm actually fine with that and and all this sort of stuff and how 
people's essentially people who have a real really deep technical understanding and spend a lot of time thinking about a thing whether that's social change whether that's socialist revolution whether that's cosmos whether it's ibc tend to underestimate the tend to misunderstand the way that people outside of that sphere are brought into the understanding and emotional engagement with the thing that they want to see come to pass you know right yeah um, and, and i think somebody just said hobby holder hey welcome um, said the market the market is network effects and, and it is to a point and I agree with somebody else somebody else mentioned here around it could be effect but there has to be a broader audience to be able to see it or it won't do much I, I agree with that too like like network effect has a piece of it something else but there there has to be more of that like there has to be a greater visibility to it and we talked a lot about this you know we've talked a lot about UI and like you know the lowering the barriers to entry and understanding and clarity and those types of things and and honestly you know um It'll it'll grow with the maturity of of different types of solutions like liquid stake and other types of areas where I feel like the that you don't have to understand the details of lockups and you're not understanding like there's a lot of things that you can kind of even though it's more complicated from a technical perspective the actual ability for a human to understand what the hell's going on um, I think somewhat you know makes it a little bit easier but. So anyway, I don't know how how do we get on this topic. I don't know where we came from this, but uh, yeah, well, I think we've 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 been talking. I guess we've been talking about funding and growth, haven't we? I so, know. but the uh, and the other interesting thing as well, like like you were saying, you said where I think I think you were probably almost directly referencing SWE, however you pronounce it, and, and Aptos, which is you know these lot these teams that are given a lot of money and they have to scale. Which mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, I could also describe a bunch of teams in Cosmos too. Yeah. Um, is that like some like, apologies to? Well, I should be fair. I wouldn't dox them on the podcast anyway. But a, a colleague of mine, who's sadly, I forgot which one, a former colleague of mine, said that every, <laughs> in their experience, every time a, a team scales by a factor of two, mm-hmm. everything falls apart. Like whether that's from one person to two, whether it's from two people to four, everything falls apart, and like you have to completely restructure the way that you work together. And like I guess that kind of makes sense. Like if you just like I saw this with the name service, like you when it's just one person you're just like twiddling away on your own and then right. you, you bring in other people to try and build something more significant it's like okay well like so the way we're like um callum and weaver who are the, the other two primary devs on how mm-hmm. like weaver does a lot of the front end but also does quite a bit of the back end to be fair callum does the lion's share of the rest of the back end and actually like i haven't done as much code i've been doing a lot of the organization and the legals and the like all the setup and all that kind of stuff yeah sure but but it's that thing of like you can't assume that your role is going to stay static either or like how a team dynamic works out is always like it's very it's very 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 hard to work with other people it's very very hard to bring people in and be okay with how the dynamic works out and what that will mean you have to do mm-hmm. as well yeah you know because i'd rather be coding but it's not over and over again like everything i do i always end up getting pushed into organization and management and that's the other thing like you see you'll see with core teams with founders like i've worked for three uh, two or three startups where mm-hmm. like, i just spent years working there telling the cto to stop just trying to skive off and code and actually manage the team and set a roadmap and and like i understand it yeah you know, if i was in the situation i'd find it very frustrating too but it's i, I don't know i'm not yeah it's just like scaling is super super hard and i think like even if we had the engineers knock, just knocking around, which we demonstrably don't, right? 
we'd still have all that we'd still then have a second problem to deal with so we've got like this huge problem of actually bringing people in and then we've got like this second problem waiting which is then how we actually build effective i don't know it's 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 an interesting one like you wonder whether there's a there's a good way past it and and, and i think also back to even just like our little teams here like the majority of game of game of nodes plus game of nodes friends of the show we're all like one person with freelancers or one person with maybe one other person helping or Mm -hmm. at the most two people right almost all the validator operations like usurper you rhinos too right two yep i think you might be the outlier i think you might you you've like oh you're overstaffed compared to the rest of us well i think the other piece of that is in you know not to relate our our issues are 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 quite easy because we're primarily infrastructure type security so it's pretty along the lines of what we have but in your piece, like going back to Howl and with Callum, and I'm sorry, I forget, what was the other name that you mentioned? Uh, Weaver. Weaver. So that type of thing, um, I could totally understand how that that doubling piece comes in. And also with the other thing I think is interesting here is the speed of this market. Like in a Web2 world, if you three were building Howl, there's no expectations. There's no kind of like timeline around it and everything else. And then here, you know, you guys get, you, you open up a public beta and it's instantly you know, around when's the drop happening and what's the airdrop and this and that, and when's this coming due? Like there's the expectations I think are much higher, honestly, in crypto and especially in the Juno chain too, because there's so many projects that are going on. So that means you guys have to gel faster and you have to determine roles faster. And like, I don't know, it's a lot of outside pressure that I think maybe doesn't exist when, if you, if you guys were just building this in a, in a vacuum and a database, you could take as long as you wanted, right? There's no big pressure here, but here in this, it's very much more visible, I think project infrastructure. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but it sure seems like it in kind of working in both worlds. It, it seems like yeah. where there's a lot more like expectation or at least the expectations higher. And like, you know, you go into how the beta and something doesn't work and everybody's up your ass <laughs> because, <laughs> because something's broken or something else. It's a, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Cause I like, you know, yeah. I've equally worked for, I've equally worked on things in the past where we would, we would killed for a thousand users. Right. And you know, literally killed for a thousand users who told us what features they wanted. You know, we, you, those companies were spending money on people to go out and talk to prospective users or users or do surveys, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 and actually, again, this was a conversation I was having with some of the Juniswap guys literally the other day. Um, was, you know, like in, in crypto, you have, you have these people who will tell you straight to your face, I love your project, but I hate that I don't have X and Y and Z. Like, and, and yeah, that feels like like that probably feels pretty bad if you have like thin skin. I know sometimes it it, it gets on my tits as well. To be perfectly honest, like right. when people are very very forthright. But then you take a step back and you go like, this is all, this is kind of awesome. Like it's better that people care about it than than not for sure care at all. Right. Um. But not too much. Yeah, not too much. <laughs> but maybe that's the benefit. Of maybe the validator thing. I think the validator thing. You're until something like Prop sixteen happens. Uh, you're quite invisible, but you're just kind of running at this constant high level of anxiety. Right. But it's quite hidden until suddenly you're in the limelight and people are sort of like have a very active opinion on what you do. You know. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's where it's a bit different to like you know building a application, being an application developer in the space, let's say, or, or building a chain where building a chain probably is the most visible you could be, I guess. I think that adds to your burnout too, right? Because all that, all that you just talked about adds stress and it adds time and it adds thought, right? And we're this is, this is the burnout episode. I'm trying to bring it back. 
but I think that all adds to a piece of of um, that expectation creates you know it creates uh, it creates a weight right on the shoulders. Would you agree yeah. or no? Yeah. Or you I don't guess give a so. shit. I, I think it's more, you know what? I think it's more the, I think it's more the, I think it's more that, yeah, when you have people, the, the, the flip side of the coin is that, yeah, the weight of expectation means you have a lot of things to think about. And each one of them means that you, if you focus on any of those things too much, yes, you're going to then lose focus and not do one thing well and i think like it depends i guess what you how you like to accomplish tasks but i think a lot of technical minded people like to do a thing and do it well and then move on and be comfortable that they can sleep at night about that thing and i think that everybody has a sliding scale of perfectionism but like especially in infrastructure that's kind of the way i feel about stuff and like you know you were talking about all the chain launches and stuff earlier mm-hmm. and Noel was talking about all of the test nets that are running and stuff at the moment yeah and, and that's one of those where literally i it's not quite a panic attack but because i i don't think i have an anxiety disorder but um but i i can feel like this like you know like the high-pitched whine and i was like ah oh, this is what people who have anxiety this would probably be like a trigger or something for that yeah well all, that's, all those things you're like that's a lot of things to think about that makes me feel tired thinking yeah. about it and that that's so, go ahead Don. well no no well i was just gonna say like in terms of yeah it's it's the workload like there is so much going on one person just doesn't have enough bandwidth to stay over the over everything so i mean you're sort of forced to be what what is the most interesting to you etc like mm-hmm. i think t- talking about team sizes and and you know that type of stuff i think if if uh King nodes were going to get more people, then we would probably not even look for a technical person and probably more someone like, um, like a marketing person, uh, as well as probably I would like to have an analyst, um, of to evaluate chains instead of a technical person, someone who can go through and evaluate whether or not they're like worthwhile software. Uh, or whether they're just another shit chain or something like that. So I think technically wise, like we've, you know, I'm the main technical guy. There's enough capacity just in myself to take care of what we're on because we don't join every chain. Right. Um, but I also do everything manually. I don't, I don't really use automation for um, booting up nodes and stuff like that because they can be done quite quickly anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think you just have to want to and and but you you need to bring your scope of work down so that you're not burning yourself out um to the things that you're you're the best at. I mean it's a little bit harder for you um the fray because you're working on multiple projects and you are two things. You're a coder and you're an, a node operator. So those two things is not like there's a little bit of um, crossover there, but mainly like when you're working on how you're working on something that's completely different to your, your validator business. And it's really got to divide your attention. You know what I mean? And you've only got so much bandwidth for different things in your head. Well, technically I spend, I spend more time on Juno really than how most of the time. 
Well, right. that's another another project as well. So you're like a main developer right. in in Juno, but like I think of things. So one one thing that I um think of, like in terms of your available bandwidth, right? Um, in your head, I'm talking about, not on the internet. So um, here's an example, right? Like when when you don't have a lot of money, okay, you think about different things than someone who has more money and you've only got so much space in your head. An example of this is like, say you're, you're shopping, right? You're walking down the aisle, you're like earning minimum wage um, and you've got a couple of kids in tow. You might be a single mother or whatever, right? So you, you might um, be doing it a bit pretty tough. And what you're thinking about when you're walking down that aisle is like, you're adding things up in your head or on a calculator where you're picking things off the the shelf and you're putting it in your cart and you're very concerned with when you get to the end of your shop, like if you can afford to pay for all those things that are in your cart, right? Take someone who's like a middle income or even a higher income earner, um, walking a couple of kids, same situation, but just at a higher income level, right? And more secure in their in their financial position, they're walking down the the cart. They're just picking stuff off the shelf they like, and they think they might want to eat. Right? They're just picking it off and chucking mm-hmm. it in. Meanwhile, in their head, they're not thinking. They're not adding up prices. They're 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 thinking about you know work tomorrow. Like what what have I got to tell Jane to do? You know different mm-hmm. things, and and it's more available bandwidth for them to be able to put towards their activities of like earning money or or family or relationships or anything else, right? They're, it's not, they're thinking about different stuff and they're, they're being able to apply that elsewhere, right? So for us, like when you have multiple things going on, that's different places you have to allocate your, your like internal bandwidth. So, you know, is that necessarily a bad thing? I guess it depends on how, um, like uh, good you are at those things, like how ingrained they are in you. Like if doing something is easy for you, then maybe it doesn't use a lot of bandwidth. If doing something is difficult or new, then that uses a lot of thought and bandwidth, right? Or if you're under pressure on that um, side of things, then you're applying a lot of bandwidth to that. And then the other things in your life suffer because you can't, um, you know, apply your thinking to those other things. Does that all make sense? Yeah, I I actually agree with you a lot on that that entire assessment. There is a there is a I believe a considerable body of of work that shows that people who are time poor um, are stressed out by the fact they have so little time and they make poor decisions about time uh, management. And people who are like people who are um, you know have a, a lower income or who are you know financially poorer also can make uh, wrong decisions about money when they're stressed out, just like fully focused on that that situation. Because there's only so when you're already at like the burnout point, you start making bad calls, basically. So there's there is like a bandwidth thing built into the way we think about a problem space. That's our primary like preoccupation, if you like. So um, I guess I guess to that end, like I manage my time based on priority, right? So there's a list of stuff 
that gets added to all the time and it's ranked by priority or the highest yield um, to me in my life uh, or, you know, success factors, right? So if applying my time to this particular thing is going to increase the success of that thing, then that's what gets my time if it ranks higher than the other things on the list. So, you know, if there's that sounds like the what's the that awful hedge fund guy the if it if it isn't making me money I drop it. Well, it's sad but true, right? You're not gonna. It's you have to apply yourself to the most um, to the best yield. Like you wouldn't if you're investing, you wouldn't pick the thing that's got the worst outcome um, possibility and invest all your money in it, would you? Because it just isn't worth it. So you would apply like you would invest in the thing that's you know potentially got a, a high growth um possibility um the newer thing like you know you wouldn't be you wouldn't be investing your thing your your money in like i don't know um inflatable i know what you're gonna say as well what <laughs> inflatable like, what you, you wouldn't be investing your money in flammable diapers right oh flammable <laughs> At least inflatables. Inflatables was going nowhere. Nowhere good. Okay. I had to think something else. That's not exactly. That's not true though, because like the three of us sit on Discord and talk shit about Cosmos validation and other types of things, and that's not. There's no ROI in that. Actually, there is an ROI in that. But but it is time boxed as well. Like I don't know about you, but I I open Discord five to ten minutes at a time while I'm making a coffee, and then I close it. Get the fuck out of here! Close several hours. Really. Yep. Wow. I've noticed. I, I have I have Telegram. This thing is on twenty four seven. I get beeped in the middle of the night. It it's ridiculous. It, it's it's literally turned into it's IRC for twenty twenty two, but it's exactly the same because I want to know what's going on. And also the other thing with that is is that the FOMO piece of it, which is we were talking about before, the fear of missing out piece of it, is that in this space when something drops, like hey, there's a test net coming or there's a validator form or something else literally 10 minutes can make the difference, right? And that that's a miserable life <laughs> because there's some things that, like we've gotten into certain situations where it's just been lucky because we have at the right place at the right time, right? And that's helped yeah. us be able to grow. And not only be, right, we're a good validator and we're good infrastructure and security and everything else, but but yeah, there's also a mix, there's a mix of luck in this business as well. And that's that's tough to not be, you can't really sleep on this business, which is tough. Yeah. But also, I mean, well, also just like the, the, the impact, I think the other thing is like, you know, the impact on friends and family is pretty major. Like sure. The, when we were doing the run up to Manita, um, last autumn, um, there was a period in that final two test nets where I I'd actually like had a long standing thing where I was going to see some friends that I hadn't seen for two years because of the pandemic. Yeah. And it all went wrong. We we crashed the test net. We had a, a hard deadline because the core team had said on Twitter that we were going to launch on the 15th. And just instead of seeing my friends, I was sat on their sofa working for two days, basically. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, I, I think that is the thing as well. Like, you know, cyber attack, I was spending some time with my dad for the first time in a while. The first one in, in April. And it was just like, okay, see ya. You know, whatever. Um, so it's, I think it's like the cumulative effect of maybe some of those things too. And I know that like I've, I've talked with quite a lot of the other validators that are friends of the show and stuff. And I think all of us have a story of where something family or holiday or something just sure. got yeah. taken out back behind the barn and shot in the head, you know, but, um, but the, the better, that's, the, that's part of the business, right? Yeah, it, you're right. It, because, 
the the other part of it is that it's when I'm when that's not happening and when I'm sleeping, I'm making money because there is there the blockchain's moving right, and so when those things don't happen, um, you know I've had a thirty year con- career in consulting and other types of things where you have to be on site and you have to be working to be able to make, and this business is not like that where you can be able to build a, a an income um, that's based off of good planning and and other types of things to be able to get into that position. And the, 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 the caveat to that is that every once in a while you ruin your wife's vacation. <laughs> so, so there's a, Hey, we're on vacation because of this business. So every once in a while I need to ruin it through, <laughs> through a 2 AM, you know, Hey, we're not going to this show because um, something, something, right. Whatever it is, it needs to happen. So I think there's no free lunch, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It isn't. It, it. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. You can't. I think. I think all of us who've worked in other areas, you know, before, are kind of like, yeah, you know, we're here because we want to be. But it doesn't make it any less like. I think for most of us, we're coming up to about a year or most of our first main nets, right? So, it's that thing when you look back and you're like, yeah, I've been, I've been like, on twenty four hours a day basically for for a year now. You do you start to go. Uh, yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah. But, Plus, I mean, you're doing, you're doing both development and, and operator, which is, which is tough because some of those are technology slash uptime requirements and other ones are people requirements where you're, you know, make sure that people are not stuck or they're not delayed because of you or they have what they need to complete their job. And the people is, the pe- works, so. yeah, you're right. The people is harder than the tech, but then like, you know, I look at, I look at you and like Nile and some of the other like folks like whisper, whisper and co who are up mm-hmm. on like 12, 13 chains. Like, yeah, there's only so far automation can take you when you're a team of two people. You I don't know. know. Polka chew. Wow. I just, I just dumped that. I don't think Polka's I... S tier though. That's the problem. Polka's very, very good, and I'm he is like I, I'm not. That is sh- automation at I don't know what the hell that what you would call that. But when I go to that website, like how many chains he has, I I feel like a freaking loser. Yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, I just I I I feel like whenever I look at Polka's stuff, that like Polka is Polka is living the organized, ordered life, technically. That I wish I was, and I'm just, I'm just not there. I'm just not I mean, like I. I just don't have that, that focus, that detail. I, I can't focus on one thing that long. There's there's 32 he, chains on this website. He's an exceptional info guy, and people should delegate to him. He's like he should yeah. be much higher in many chains. 32 chains on this website, right? Like this yeah. is this is the case study for Ansible. Like this is how can I take a Pretty complicated. Like this is a high uptime, high stress. I'm, this is uh, this is a compliment. Don't get me wrong. How do I take a, a business that's high uptime, high stress with downsides associated to bad uptime, and use proper um, automation to be able to build at scale? And this is a good case study for that, right? I mean, there's Polka has like across the board like great uptime and 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 use of technology and you have 32 chains on this list it's crazy yeah i also think as well like the i don't know if you've read polka's blogs on like their reasoning behind why they do things in a certain way as well like it's it's really well thought through like as in 
uh, like okay i know i always get shit and i always talk about getting shit for running on aws but my reasoning for running on aws is basically like it's what i do for an enterprise client and generally hasn't failed me yeah that would be a very short blog post polkas is actually <laughs> a blog post with actual technical reasoning and justifications <laughs> for decisions and i'm like again this is that attention to detail and, and thinking it through that that like i, I just uh, yeah no, i think they're an incredibly slept on validator yep. uh, obviously like i say like you know i, I i'd started to, um actually terraforming some of our stuff because that's the automation uh, framework that i used most recently in my day job a couple of years ago sure um and then I saw that, that Polka had basically ansible everything. And I used to work with Ansible in like 2014. So I was like, fuck it, right? It's already done. It's already done. And I explicitly trust that whatever is Polka has done is better structured than anything I would do. And I literally just like forked it, adapted the bits that I wanted to change, ran it, it worked. And I was, I, I sent, I think I sent Polka a message, or maybe, maybe it was in a public Discord channel where I was just like, fucking hell, your Ansible is really well organized. Thank you. <laughs> because <laughs> i needed to change a bunch of things where i was like yeah. I, my setup's just very, like quite different and i and it was just like it was organized enough that it was somebody you know it's like several thousand lines of Vansible or whatever and i was able to just right. find the bit <laughs> in the right places well structured <laughs> it's got a readme that's really short as well but it was just yeah. well structured enough i found the bits so i was like this is just really good i just i would none of none of my stuff is that well organized none of my bash script folders are that well i was just i, I don't know <laughs> for anyone listening inadequate. just just to add more detail on null's comment to delegate to polkachu only if he's below the three of us otherwise <laughs> screw him <laughs> and you. delegate to <laughs> needle casting nose and rhino and lavender five and and move him down the chain let's 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 be honest here and, Look, the if, one, if, and the if, one time I degen on <laughs> on a chain on Kerberos, like I I wasn't in the set, and Polka yeah. gave me like Polka and Jabby both gave me a few tokens to get started. So just they're just great guys. Like obviously yeah. you can't say you know Jabby. Everyone knows Jabby's a great guy, but like sure. Polka's such uh, a great guy. Yeah. Are you still on Kerberos? I am. No, well, I am I the only one? Ago. So um, just you know. Actually, what you should do is undelegate from everybody else and just delegate to us in poker. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys like top three or something? Uh, I'm actually, I'm number well, I'm four. Looking, I'm, I, not in I'm talking about on every network, man. I'm number four in Kerberos. <laughs> I just actually moved down because friends moved up, but you know, not friends of the show. When uh, Kerberos launched, I thought to myself, no thanks. <laughs> my my empire on Kerberos as number four validator equates to fourteen hundred dollars USD. So there you go. Savage. That, that yeah. <laughs> savage. <laughs> yeah, raking it in over there. Yeah, but I hope but, uh, maybe I'll turn into something. Let's see. But um, there, there, you know, there's also a thing here that you know when we were talking about. Um, you know, we were talking like validators dumping. Like <laughs> this is way back during like when when the price was still pretty good. Yeah, but like you know, you do now get to a point now where you know there are chains building in the in the bear. There's a lot of stuff going on, and like to kind of again back to the kind of keeping up with all of it. Like if you were going to be looking at hiring, looking at getting more support, looking at doing more ambitious stuff as a validator organization to take like I guess to take your business forward or to take whatever your long term plan is, like you know whether that is like like us getting, going more into the kind of application side of things or, or you know whatever direction you want to go 
that, that just again shows how important it is to have made sure that you've got a firm position from when the market's up because right now like you wouldn't be expansion forget about it like that's not happening in this market and yet the chain will just keep coming the noise level isn't going down the workload isn't going down and that's it and like and like you want to be able to participate in these chains like we, we i've talked to a bunch of great startups and and groups that are coming um skip i just talked to last night like that team sounds awesome we've had conversations with defund like they're you know obviously canto just went live a little bit ago and then empower talked about today like you get in a situation where like this goes back to what we talked about before on the DAO side of the house is like you want to be able to do due diligence but as an individual you need to how much time can you spend towards that and how much time can you actually understand if, of, of what's there and so i usually do team kind of uh reviews to see what's going on but there's a huge fomo piece within this and honestly this is just starting right like we're at the beginning of this uh ramp in terms of the number of chains they're going to launch and everything else so if yeah, we're looking if we're looking this tired right now it's gonna be bad in six months from now it's definitely yeah you can't be everywhere you can't, you can't. be everywhere you can't be everywhere at once unless Polka you've you got can. unless you're like <laughs> yeah but also i mean there's two there's different strokes for different folks right so there's yeah there's um pokachu does i'm i think it's just him but he does everything like automated in a in a like you said in a um I think you know, the Pokachu intern account yeah. is just Poker's old, isn't it? It's hey, just yeah, it's, it's at night time. Don't dox <laughs> the guy. What are you doing? Ah, well, it, you, <laughs> the phrase said it anyway. Phrase. So, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's just my that's just my suspicion. I can't prove it, but if you look at then um, Cosmo Station, Cosmo Station has a shitload of people and money, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they're both on every chain. One yeah, is some official. Big validators have like fifty staff. Like yeah. I was talking to some of those guys in, um, fuck, where was that place that I went? Uh, Prague, that one, the, the thing, yeah. the Cosmos event. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I was just like, oh, just out of curiosity, how many staff do you have? And some of these guys are like 50. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And then I'm like, how many engineers? Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, only about 12. And you're like, like heavy breathing. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <Only. just> like <laughs> yep. Um, so just on the automation thing, uh, Dan from Defiant Nodes, I'm pretty sure it is. Do you know Do you know of Dan? Um, he's doing some work with um, Strangelove, okay. and I've been following along with him on uh, Discord, and he sent me um, a little thing that he's been working on the other day with Strangelove. With the whole K9S or K8s um, Kubernetes. 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 Yeah. So he's sent me like it's in a CLI, a dashboard of, I'm pretty sure he's got automated launching everything into K8s and it looks pretty cool, to be honest. And I want him to give me a run through and I think he's going to give me a run through today at some point. That's a. Basically, extension of what's going on with the uh, the Docker structure. Yeah, for, like the um, test suite. I think they're running K8s, running everything through Docker. Mm -hmm. um, so the example he sent me is for Kujira. And in here, um, on this K8, he has got everything running automated with uh, Cosmos Exporter, Grafana, uh, Centuries, Node Exporter, uh, Price Feeder, 
and Prometheus all sort of mm-hmm. automated to mesh together. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. It looks quite nice. I, I, I want to see um, the scripts and <laughs> how quick it boots up. But uh, yeah, people are, people are definitely going to work on ultimate solutions to like the automation. Sure. So and that, that I'm trying to remember what was a what was a, we've talked about before. What's a container structure that's that was built for originally for Akash to be able to run nodes on Akash? Um, oh, so that's um, the Tom Tom one. That's uh, Omnibus. 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 So it's basically an extension of Omnibus, right? You're basically just orchestrating containers for for those types of things. I mean, it could be, or it could be their own custom containers. I'm not 100 percent sure. Right. Right. I guess it depends what they're, they're probably, I would imagine if it's it'd be the same containers, because they'll all just be chain by chain. So they'll just grab them off of the, they'll just grab them out of a, a known stable repository, right? Sure. Um, so K- Kubernetes is just the, mm-hmm. uh, to, to those listening who might not know what, what the fuck we're talking about, uh, <laughs> Docker is a virtualization environment. So you can run, run a thing in a docker container and if your system can run the docker container there's a high likelihood like whatever's inside is kind of isolated from the host ish a bit of hand waving if you can run docker um so it's a way of like running a thing on multiple devices as if it was a binary like just an executable program Mm -hmm. um and kubernetes is an abstraction framework for running docker containers um so you make a, a Kubernetes cluster across one or multiple machines, and then that cluster just has capacity to accept things deployed to it, network them together, and offer ingress and egress of data to them, essentially, via whatever scheme you want. So Kubernetes and Helm are two of the main... Uh, the Helm is the way you kind of define large deployments of Kubernetes stuff, generally speaking. Um and the connection here is that Akash Overclock did a lot of work on Kubernetes and Helm, which is mm-hmm. where they're coming from with their software, their SDL, their software description language, is like quite familiar, very similar to, yeah, kind of like a Yamily version of uh, the Terraform that you would use. Um, and obviously, a lot of the Helm and, and Kubernetes stuff is YAML. So that's why the SDL looks a little bit like that. It's because um, Akash's team have prior in that area and that's why provi- providers if you kind of wave your hand the akash concept of a provider is kind of like a, a single or multi-machine cluster if you like there's a lot of the same kind of concepts um going on there but like this is relevant because like, so the thing that we were talking about earlier which is that the the aptos team give you the terraform for mm-hmm. what they consider a baseline implementation and you, you can obviously change it up if you need to but like so we're for this current test now experimenting with just running straight up on aws um a kubernetes cluster um on we're using hosted kubernetes so we're literally using aks mm-hmm. aks eks um but you could equally spin up a host and then throw create the kubernetes cluster and then throw part of that terraform at the actual creation of the docker containers in the cluster right um if you wanted and so tom from ecostake uh who's obviously maintainer of omnibus he as i understand it uses uh like he uses his docker stuff but he obviously he just throws he has basically has a host that can take the docker containers he can run them i don't think it's kubernetes that he runs on um, but it's like a sliding scale from basically like I have a host that will run Docker containers that I throw at it all the way to I have several hosts that are essentially a mm-hmm. Kubernetes cluster 
I throw stuff at them, it gets run. Um, and, and all this is just to be able to build repeatability in terms of deliverability. So you make less mistakes where it's very easy to make mistakes. And if you're expanding out from a, you know, from a bare metal perspective, other types of things, you forget something or something similar that you have a playbook to be able to run, you know, those types of things. The idea is that you're building automation to be able to continually improve that playbook to be able to reduce mistakes and those types of things. I don't necessarily, that's really what it's about. It's not necessarily going to guarantee, you know, for people listening, it's not going to say guarantee higher uptime or other types of things. It's really, um, it can in certain situations, but for the most part, yeah. it's, it's primarily maybe, built maybe in a disaster recovery situation. Yeah, maybe. yeah you're right. But, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, even, true. even, even in that case, like, you know, the, the scale of some of these deployments, like the provisioning and deploying the, the Aptos stuff, you, you're waiting half an hour for it to provision all the stuff the first time. Right. So if you had to fully disaster recover that onto another cloud provider or another, um, or, or if you had to fail over to bare metal, if you hadn't already prepared a Kubernetes cluster ready to accept a deployment, bearing yep. in mind the fact you'd have to have separate maintained Terraform for the bit you wanted to do, which is just <laughs> the deployment, which you would have had to have tested, taking time and cost, and then maintained over time, taking time and cost and energy. Right. That's right. It still wouldn't be instant. And this is why there's a sliding scale for automation, right? Whereas something something like what Polka's done, very, very sensible, right? Because I can spin up a really cheap mm -hmm. Hetzner box. I can run that Ansible against it and see if it provisions a cost. Well, I actually don't even have it provisioning Cosmos nodes or anything because I prefer to do that bit manually because mm -hmm. um, we use TMKMS and I prefer to just make sure I've switched all the keys over and everything. But sure. I like everything to be, I, I like it to install Prometheus, node mm -hmm. exporter all that stuff not turn it on but like have it ready on the box so that bit i can just throw up against the cheapest hats in the box and just check it works yep you know yeah, and to exactly. me that's a thing that like every now i guess going forward probably every few weeks i'll just run it against a blank box and then throw the box away just to yep. check it's ready to go and, and also there's a there's a downside to this too we just talked about i don't know if it happened uh i think last week maybe when Nell and schultzy were talking for six hours on this podcast but um Block Daemon double signed on Evmos. Is that what it was? Was it Evmos? I forget where they double signed. Uh, yeah, there's two that double signed Evmos. Well, they they white label somebody else, right? So they they were. I think the understanding was that they were they had they're heavily automated, right? Like Block Daemon, huge validator, like like back to your fifty per person type of thing, right? The downside of automation sometimes is in the wrong hands or with forgetting what exactly that does or kind of understanding the scope of that automation, you can get to situations where you make massive mistakes because you're letting scripts run and do things that what, what Frey was just talking about is, you know, he's, he's stopping to think about what the role of TMKMS is in that situation to make sure that I have, you know, this type of structure where I'm not going to double sign, blah, 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 right? He understands the blockchain. Um, and they just double signed on both their node as well as a white label node. Um, because they were running automations. And so there's a, there's a, there's, you know, that there's double, I guess, I guess there's two sides of that sword, right? I think yeah. when you're talking about signing, like you either have to have robust built in, um, you know, uh, checking in mm -hmm. your scripts, or you need to just do it manually. Because I think the only safe way to do it is just to do it manually. No matter how much checking you do in your scripting, there's always the edge case and the the risk 
Well, I mean, the the outcome from that edge case is catastrophic, so it's not worth the risk, I think. Right. Yeah, um, I don't think I would ever have automation turn on a node for me, for example. Even maybe an RPC, definitely not a well, node. Even if I well, was like... You can have it turn on a node. You just have to have it be a dumb disposable node, and then you just manually point your signers to it. Um, yeah, sure. Case, well, no, but I, I, that's the thing. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even turn on an RPC that was open to a signer without double checking the firewall, double checking I'd remove the, I, yeah, the keys were not the ones I thought. All of that, like I, it's just not worth it. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, if I was doing RPCs with like Ansible or something like that, I would probably have a script to set up um, the node and the firewall and I would run everything through reverse proxy and then just check the um, caddy file or something like that. So, I mean, opening firewall ports is not a massive drama if you don't have to do it all the time. So as long as you run it all through your SSH port or something like that and you have appropriate... Um, scripts that just adds to a caddy file and restarts caddy i don't think there's a a high um risk or, or like a, a large footprint for it to to um add security issues so yeah i'm not really worried about security issues so much as double signing like yeah i mean reverse I'm, I, I'm, yeah for i would run a reverse proxy in front of an rpc but just you know for for all other purposes i think you just open a open a port don't you um but uh yeah uh, i was gonna oh, so i noticed we had some comments as well i just wanted to pull out a couple of uh so um rama had said a little bit earlier there's lots of talk about difficulties onboarding people in multiple areas is there a plan to address it in a decentralized world there is no one to take ownership um this is yeah it's it's pretty hard. Like the, the approach we're taking, um, like as an envoys needlecast, I think is we're just going to proactively hire. We're just going to hire and train and just, uh, we're just going to have to try and cover that salary by taking on more engineering work. Um, because it, it's chicken and egg, isn't it? Like, especially with, especially with core dev and stuff like that, where, like what I've seen with Cosmwasm Dev is that Cosmwasm Dev is very, very easy to sell to people. There's a lot of people who want to write Rust. There's a lot of people who understand the smart contract thing. There's a lot of people who, for whatever reason, see it as lower barrier to entry than Chain Dev. Um, I, I think I'm not the only person. I know there is a movement about saying that Lean Cosmos, where it's mainly just a base chain plus Cosmwasm, is likely going to be the one the dominant paradigms for Cosmos moving forward. Um, I mean, I personally go even further and say, actually, just just IBC and then don't assume anything else about the stack is probably going to be the dominant paradigm eventually. Maybe Cosmosm will be part of that. Probably it will be. Um, but it's interesting that that is it's it's very easy. It seems to sell the smart contracts and Rust. It's it's much harder, and this is because the SDK is inherently more complicated to work with. Mm -hmm. But. I think I think Go does play a role, and I've kind of I've beaten that horse. So um, they should have a really light version of the SDK, like you say. But I don't think it should include Cosmwasm because there's a lot of attack surface on Cosmwasm. Oh yeah, no, but the so the way it's implemented in the so there isn't a Rust SDK, but the way IBC is implemented is it's just a library, it's a module. 
It's not yeah. a, mod a module module. It's literally a Rust library. You can include it in any Rust project. Yeah. And you have IBC, but it won't obviously work with all the other without all the other stuff. So it's but it's up to you how you actually integrate that into your application. So that's why I think like if you had Cosmwasm as in essentially the, the bits, the X Wasm that's in Wasm D as a similar Rust module, then you would have IBC, Cosmwasm. You can build them into any Rust project. And you already have Tendermint in Rust. So I mean that would be my bet for the future is like a a a, a much better way for onboarding to to answer to answer your question rama um i like i, I know larry uh, who's i think mars protocol um has also been saying a similar thing on twitter and i think they're also he's a very smart guy but confirmation bias of course um, <laughs> um and, and actually rama made a second point which is just saying i've seen the community openly shit on people for trying to get into roles or positions to assist juno as an example, so I guess this is a this is a, a reply to that comment we had earlier, saying, you know, should we make a DAO and then invite people to apply, right? Uh, you know, so there are, there are pitfalls maybe to that approach, I suppose. Um, I guess, like you uh, know, with the sub DAOs, maybe there should be more of a effort to look to the broader community for people for those sub DAOs who are interested, rather than. Um, you know, people that are already tight to the community might be a good way to to bring in additional, like network effects. Again, you bring in a couple of people; they've got friends who have got friends who've got friends. So, um, and you know, you you can't get more interested than if you're on a DAO and and focused on that. So, yeah, it's I mean, a good, that's, that's all good points. There's so much VC money flowing around now. I think it's a good balance to that too. Like, I mean, we talked about before around, you know, what the role of that VC is and the experience there and those types of things and quote unquote web two and all this type of shit. But, uh, there's value in that. Um, and there's value in, in trying to separate, you know, teams and, and, um, approaches to figure out what the market will accept. And there's also value in, in maybe, you know, Juno sub DAOs taking, larger chances because they have the coins to do it so i do think that there should be some accountability though like there that idea around um you know kind of building that dow team and then understanding over a course of six months what do they invest in and where those teams are and if that makes sense or not and try to make this sense of like are we getting an roi because there should be no matter what there should be an roi uh, at a portfolio level, maybe not at an investment level, but at a portfolio level, I should look back and say, hey, we're making the right decisions here. Like, you know, going back to our point before around marketing and, you know, the growth of the cosmos and those types of things, like that, it's important to be able to put money down and be able to see that we're seeing return off that. So um, I don't know. I think maybe it's a good balance between, you know, kind of the obviously the Juno Dow and also what's happening, you know, externally. And, and uh, there's a lot of change starting from a good amount of VC funding and there's still, there's dollars coming in the cosmos, which is good stuff. So completely unrelated. Um, Master earlier, my mouse stopped working too, so I can't click around. But um, <laughs> so the fray earlier, you were talking about your your dark British comedy comedy uh, animation, and um, it just the only thing I could think about while you were talking about was uh, Douglas Denham. This is what. <laughs> Oh, Douglas. from the IT crowd, yeah. Chris, Chris. You mean Chris? Chris Morris's character, or do you mean? Um, yeah, I think it's Chris Morris. Uh, not not he, the old denim, the young denim. 
Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what's his face? Who's who's toast of London? Who's in um, who's in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Right, Richard. I don't. I no, don't know not Richard. Well. I know Adi. Um, um, oh uh, Matt, Matt Barry. Matt Barry. Matt Barry. Yeah. Yeah. He's just he's so funny, man. I, I love that. Um, <laughs> Father. <laughs> You, computer man, fix my pants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unhand me, priest. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, Even the yeah. old guy, he's just like so, so business. <laughs> uh, he's he's actually, he features very strongly in a very good video by the band Three Trap Tigers. They literally just, so, okay, two facts about Matt Berry. Number one, he's in the video reset by Three Trap Tigers. They literally just, I think they sent him a message like, Matt, we have this insane idea for a video. Would you do it? He's just like, yeah, fine. Fuck it. Why not? <laughs> Um, number two, number two, he's in a band called Matt Berry and the Maples because he is a folk singer, and people people go to his shows assuming that it's a joke, and he is no, he is it's it's a serious, dead serious, not a joke folk band. He plays at folk festivals, and then some people go along and they're like, "It's cool." Oh, right, I was expecting musical comedy. No, right. it's just a folk band playing folk standards. It's like <laughs> like like Steve Martin played the banjo. You're like, ah, it's funny. And then you're like, oh shit, this guy's a really good banjo player. <laughs> like where the hell did that come from? Yeah. He there's also like, especially from the period like going way back like 15 or so years or so early two thousands, he he whenever there was like because he can I think play quite a few instruments, whenever there was like a random BBC sketch show where they just needed like a, a bit player to play like an old 70s prog guy or something he always like there's always lots of young matt berry just in like shades and a mustache or something playing one of these roles <laughs> where it's just like there's this amazing one i can't remember what it is i think richard i added might be in the sketch as well i'll try and find it for the show notes where there's he, he basically he sat at this piano and they're talking to him it's like supposed to be like one of those old prog rock guys from the 70s and they're just like he wants the song about he talks about it, it's like really dark it's like about his brother's suicide or something and they're like, and they're like, okay, well, um, it's like it's kind of like the old Grey Whistle test if you've seen that show. And so then he's up to, I think it's Richard Ayoade potentially. He turns to the camera. And he's like, so we're going to hear some of this. It might be a little bit disturbing, a bit moving, but it's it's obviously a very beautiful piece. Take it away. And like he sort of, he obviously starts like playing the sad piano, and then he just sort of like kicks the piano over, and he's got like a guitar, and they just starts like shredding, and it's just like nonsense seventy synth, and he's just like rips his shirt, gets his chest out and stuff. <laughs> and, um, and it's supposed to be this song about like his dead brother or whatever. And I was like, that is seventies prog. That is exactly <laughs> you've nailed it. Um, but he wrote like all of those things. I think he basically where they were just like, we need a musical skit. Here's our idea, and then they just got to go write the music and then be in it. So. <laughs> mute <Yeah. laughs> i've said my thing now I've i'm said muted. My thing. matt barry mute mute i just looked up matt, matt barry in the maypoles and yeah man he's like playing in front of mm-hmm. legit crowds like, yes I looked it's, it's a real thing like it's actually his side it's, it's completely dead serious um cool. he just looks so fucking cool too like I think he's, he's probably quite a nice guy. Like I suspect, he kind of seems like he's got his shit sorted. Um, he's got the coolest demeanor. And she's like, <laughs> you, <can do> that. <laughs> you know, he's like, his background. I think he is actually like a voiceover artist. That's like his thing. Oh, yeah. Like so, periodically you'll hear something on the radio in the UK, and it's just Matt Berry. Like as in, before he was more well known, you would just hear like a radio advert when you were driving along in like your parents' car in the early two thousands or whatever. And you'd be like, is that Matt Berry? Like Do you have a shite car? 
Buy a new one. New yeah, no, 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 exactly. It would be like, have you had an accident in the last? And you're like, it's Matt Berry. It's definitely, this is definitely it's Matt totally Berry. Totally him, yeah. And then like, but like now he's like considerably more famous as like a comic actor and stuff, but he still does. I'm, pr- I'm pretty certain either, or, or he's got impersonators now. I don't know. Could be one or the other. Impersonators? Um, but, yeah. But there's a, there's a, there is a, the, he did a more recent show called Toast of London, if you've not seen it, which is all about, he plays a struggling actor who's basically the most awful person in the world. And who this guy is also a voice actor, um, but but is basically a failed stage actor at the end of his stage career, struggling to make ends meet. And it's sort of like a comedy dark version of his own life, where the mate where he's made it like a version of himself if he was just a prick to everyone all the time. It's quite funny. Um, and um, yeah, there's a guy. There's a few people in it who are like minor characters who have gone on to be quite famous in the in the standard style of all British comedy it seems where like the guy playing the t-boy in the studio is now famous because he was in that star trek discovery and right. you're like wait that's the guy that was one of the main characters in star trek discovery and he's playing the t-boy that's always <laughs> rude um or like ben Wishaw. ben did any of you see um oh god what's it called nathan barley that's a really old one so no. in nathan barley it's about startup startup culture in like brick lane in short like kind of shoreditch east london in like the early 2000s and it it hasn't aged a day it's still perfect is that the um, show name or is that the actor nathan barley's the name of the show it's about this guy who runs a startup which okay. does nothing but is well funded and they just do <laughs> fucking nothing and they're just all hipsters and everybody's horrible in it and they do and it's just, it's so pitch perfect as a satire um but in it, they have one of their employees who's paid to actually do all the work. I think he's the programmer that actually keeps the lights on. Yeah. Is Ben Whishaw, who went on to be like Q and stuff in James Bond. So he's like one of the biggest actors. Like most of these other people did like one or two other comedy shows after this and not much else. And in it, yeah. So Ben Whishaw is just like this guy who's in every episode and they just prank him relentlessly. And you're like, that's Ben Whishaw. He's the guy. <laughs> he's like this big Hollywood guy now. And, um, and the guy who wrote it, Charlie Brooker, is the guy that created Black Mirror. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this he's a comedy writer. He did a bunch of comedy shows like Chris Morris and people like that. Sure, back sure. In the day. And yeah. obviously Chris Morris is like, Chris Morris wrote like Day to Day and stuff along with like Commando Iannucci and all those guys who did <clears throat> Alan Partridge. And yeah, Nathan Brothers from 2005. So that's like early oh. days. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, whatever happened to the Mighty Boosh guy? Uh... The Mighty Boosh, they did three series, didn't they? And then they, they stopped doing it. Yeah, they stopped doing it. It was a good show. I think they ran I out of steam. Toast of London, and I got rack of toast at my local cafe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to have to. I, like, I'm, so the, the show notes for this is uh, for this week is just going to be like loads just, and loads and loads. Just IMDb. Comedy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a shit. It's fine. But, somehow, somehow there's always 90 minutes of content related to the cosmos, even when there's no content. Well, it's back to Noel's reasoning that we basically have a voice call every week, so we may as well film the voice call of that as a podcast. Exactly I mean, right. that is the whole purpose of this show, just to record our, our That's fine. Quite entertainment. Yeah. Um, uh, Coinwater Coin said something interesting there, which is double signing should be addressed in the core code. It is on my list to build, but have to launch our chain first. We're running three parallel nodes that represent a single node. Failover and uptime is paramount. We should not have to worry about slashing when pushing to do what's best for the chain. Uh, that's interesting, but I guess the the question is: isn't like it, it, is there? A, you don't want to guard against double signing because double signing 
double signing is the attempt is potentially the attempt to interrupt consensus with invalid mm -hmm. state. Tis. Yeah, I think it should. So if somebody's come up with, well, although actually, God, sorry to mention, but I think it doesn't. It, it works slightly different in Aptose, doesn't it? The the, the old double signer rule because it's all threshold. I don't know actually. It's all threshold signing, isn't it? I have Hot no stuff. idea. I've been watching a lot of videos around hot stuff and try to understand the differences between that and Tendermint and kind of the benefits and whatever. I, I, but I double signed it. It's called It's called hot stuff, yeah. yeah. Hot, stuff. hot stuff. Hot stuff. Hot stuff. There's a good that's video. The consensus put, engine. Yeah. That's I'll put it in the show notes. There's a good. Yeah, we found a, I found a good video on uh, A16Z discussion around that versus Tendermint and kind of the differences. Did you find it or did Polkachu say it? You're right. You my bad, my bad. Credit where credit is due, as most things on this podcast. <laughs> this, this podcast is just right. like, we're just telling the things that Paul Kiki has told us for the week. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's, like, right. he's, like, he's like a puppet master. I did find the second part of that video. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. Part two? All right. Um, we have two as well. Poker? He hasn't been on before, has he? No. He doesn't Never like seen him. He doesn't like publicitar. Mm -mm. Um. No. We were talked on a previous one of these with when, when Schultze was in about the Tim Roughgarden lectures about <clears throat> economic incentives, mm -hmm. which um, is a taught course in the, I think, optional course in computer science that he teaches wherever he is, Columbia. Um, and the online course content became really popular, particularly with people in the crypto space. He's started doing a second series, which is all about consensus engines and different consensus schemes. Mm -hmm. Um and his first deep dive series is in uh, on Tendermint. Oh yeah. So um, that's another interesting recommend. It's fucking long. I mean, it is courseware. So it is. Here is a session with a virtual whiteboard. I'm going to tell you how <clears throat> partial BFT. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Asynchronous partial partial. Uh, what's it called? BFT works. Um, so it is heavy going, um, but it is interesting. Um, is it publicly available? Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube. Oh, yeah? uh, oh, we'll, I put can, in the, we'll put I it in can, the notes then. I can send sure. you a link. Um, yeah. Just go in my crazy YouTube history, which you can imagine is absolute madness. Yeah, mine's mine's full of it's garbage. No mine's, just, mine's just Matt Berry and consensus algorithms. <laughs> is, <that> it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> mine's like 8,000 8, one-hour comedy specials, Patrice <laughs> O'Neill and everything else. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's an amazing. Have you ever seen that um, instant regret YouTube playlist? That's one of the best things on the internet, where it's just all these ten second clips of completely incomprehensible memes that have been gradually added to over time. And it's like it's like archaeology, some of it, because if you watch for more than like a few minutes, you'll be into memes from like six months ago, and you'll be like, whatever cultural <laughs> event this references, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I did, I did yeah. a search and I got the instant regret playlist one through 35 and that ended in 2021. So I'm guessing we're up to the fifties. Yeah. You're looking for, there's like, I think it's like instant regret playlist, <laughs> instant regret, <laughs> clicking this playlist, something like that. It's by Epic Donut Dude. If remember, if remember <laughs> on, on YouTube. Um, but we, we once had a house party where we just put that, we didn't put any music. We just put on that like on the sound system with on the TV and people kept walking into that room being like, it's perfect. And then you come back 30 minutes later and they were just stood there with their beer laughing and you'd be like, well, the party's over for them. <laughs> like, uh, is it, was it just a regret or Mr. Karma? Which one was it? <laughs> <laughs> trying to find it. Uh, who's, the, who's the user? 
I think it was Epic. No, Epic Donut Dude. (laughs) Oh, Epic Donut Dude. Yeah, obviously. Uh, Obviously. How could you... How would you even... Why would you accept any substitutes? Unless unless Epic Donut Dude gave up the mantle. Um, I have to admit, I've not not watched it in a few years. 113,000 subscribers, far more than Game of Notes, so... I mean, I'm subscribed. <laughs> I clicked. I'm, like, I'm going to watch the shit out of that. Um, so I, I had an idea for a bar 10 years ago. I wanted to open a bar that would just have on the walls like a thousand five-inch screens that would only play like these types of videos like over and over. Like each screen would have its own meme over and over and over. And you'd have thousands of them. There, there used to be a bar that I used to go to that would just play um, Archer. <laughs> that's it it's archer over and over just had archer going in the back like with subs it was just perfect going in the background they had like you know i don't know metal and then just archer playing on all the screens <laughs> it was weird that's so, that kind of cool yeah it's okay but yeah. also the exactly. first time i saw archer and then went and looked it up and watched it all and it's great <laughs> link in the show notes <laughs> um yeah anyway so I mean, uh, Kevin here has a has a nice comment. I love when Null gets catty. I don't know what that is in relation to, but is yeah, that man. every episode? I get catty. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Please never do that again. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, Kevin, obviously, famously of the the TDF. Um, See, stuff. Kevin's the marketing guy that I need. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I right? I think, I, Kevin, I, I think Kevin. Kevin could do. I think Kevin's marketing is probably the best out of any of us, isn't it? I, by far. Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah by far. With the pitches um, on point. I believe yeah, is what yeah. the kids say. Is yep. that what they say? It's on point. On point. Definitely. Yep. Definitely on point. Definitely great marketing. If I had uh, a Kevin for a marketing guy um, and a, a, a help tech guy, that'd be great. And yeah. if I had a Rama for a research guy, yeah. that'd also be great. Yeah. If you're a Kevin or a Rama, reach out. Maybe we can talk. <laughs> I need a Kevin, a Rama, and a, and a Fray for a developer. That was, then, then you're fucking taking over this thing. 